0: I believe it's okay to admit that there are certain songs that we really enjoy singing. Jesus loves me, how beautiful heaven must be. We're marching on to Zion. And there's almost a pep in our step as we sing those songs. And then there are songs that we don't like singing. But yet we need to sing those songs. And certainly if you are a bit emotional or upset or bothered by the words of the song that we just sang that's okay because to say that I'm the one is an admission that I'm the one that Jesus died for me and that without his death I have no hope and so I appreciate our brother Josh leading us in a song that may not be the most uh, exciting to sing in terms of making me feel good but it reminds us of the fact that I need Jesus, and I need him desperately today, and I will always need him. And Jesus, of course, gave his life for us. I hope that that's not news to those who are present today, though there may be some who are here that have limited knowledge of the Bible, and that's okay. And so you may not know the story of Jesus and the story of his death and the story of his resurrection, which we're going to talk about in part today. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We're going, to, we're going to read beginning in verse 15 here in just a moment. And we're thankful for those who are present here. We're thankful for those who have chosen to be with us. We're thankful for those who are engaged in spiritual things along with us. And we have a number of visitors from various parts of the country, and around the country you've come our way, and we're thankful for that very much. The importance of the sermon title today is really the subtitle, and that is we're talking about a man by the name of Barabbas, but the subtitle is Why? And that is really the crux of what we're talking about when we think about the death of our Lord and our Savior. We know why Jesus had to die, though that's an important study in and of itself. And we know why his resurrection is important, and that's important too. But there's a sub-character in the plot. There's a sub-character that takes on a role himself by the name of Barabbas. And I wanted to pose the question as to why the story of Barabbas or the account of Barabbas is found in the Bible. It is true that the account of Barabbas is found in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So what I'd like for us to do is to, as my preacher friend sometimes says, use those fresh eyes or put on fresh spectacles and look at the various texts about Barabbas, pretending as if you've never read them before, And then make a series of observations about why the story of Barabbas is so important, not just as an historical point, but as an application for our lives together today. I want to start in Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 15. We'll read this relatively quickly and then make a a brief observation or two about the text before we go on to Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 15, it says, At the feast, the governor was accustomed to release into the multitude a prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Now, some of you may have a version that says Jesus Barabbas. We know that Jesus was a common name and is still in many cultures a more common name today in various places in the world. "'Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, "'Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ?' "'For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. "'While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him, "'and said, "'Have nothing to do with that just man, "'for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him.' "'But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes "'that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus.' And the governor answered and said, Which do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, Crucify him or let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What has he done wrong? What evil? They cried out all the more, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Just two things about this text, and we could spend a good 30 minutes just on this text. One is, notice in verse 26, there's a series of two big action verbs. In verse 26, released and scourged. And we know what release means. It means we are going to make you free, allow you to walk away unscathed, unpunished, without any sort of disruption to your life going forward. Whereas compared to scourged, well, we know what that is. We know that it was a flogging that the Romans had seemed to perfect. That oftentimes that when a person was scourged, that that person would not even make it to the cross because of blood loss and because of the pain that was associated with it. But the second thing that I want you to notice is that here in Matthew's account, it describes Barabbas as a notorious prisoner. It doesn't give us a lot of insight into why he was a prisoner, but it describes him as a notorious prisoner. Turn over, if you would, then a few pages to the book of Mark, and we're going to read Mark's account, which is strikingly similar, though a little bit shorter. And in Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 6, at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. This is Mark 15, beginning in verse 7. There was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. Now that's a new word that wasn't used in Matthew's account. They had committed murder in the rebellion. And the multitude cried aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them the custom of releasing a prisoner. He says, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests handed him over because of envy, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that they should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate says, What do you want me to do with him who's called the king of the Jews? And they said, crucify him. He says, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Again, you see that same kind of uh, transition between the release of Barabbas and the scourging or the deliverance of Jesus to be killed. Here, we see that he is associated with rebels and associated with murder. You see, Barabbas is not just a common criminal of petty theft. He's done very bad things. And while we understand that sin is sin is sin, we also live in a culture, and as is the case in most civilized societies, where you have different punishments that are more severe based on the types of crimes that were committed. And so these are capital offenses, we would call them in the 20th or 21st century of Western culture. Well, turn it over, if you would, to Luke chapter 23, and we'll see what Luke has to say on the subject of Barabbas here in verse uh, 13 beginning. It says, Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, verse 14 of 23, says, You have brought this man, speaking of Jesus of Nazareth, as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. Neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, I'm going to chastise him and release him. For it was necessary, verse 17, to release one to them at the feast. Again, going back to the custom that was referenced in Matthew and Mark's account. And they all cried out at once, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city, comma, and for murder. Almost as an afterthought. Pilate, therefore wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them. And they said, crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them a third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent and demanded with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. And he released to them, verse 25, the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will here we see the word rebellion used again and this time the word murder used in terms of what barabbas had been guilty of john who writes with a different perspective than matthew mark and luke and what we typically refer to as the synoptic gospels only spends a couple of verses on the subject of barabbas in john chapter 18 beginning in about verse 39 where Pilate says, You have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They all cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, remember, That all four gospel writers don't always include the same stories in their accounts. Sometimes only Matthew and Luke will include a a particular uh, story about Jesus or a miracle performed by Jesus. That's why there's value in studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and reading all of them to get a, a fuller flavor of everything that Jesus did and teaches So my question in thinking about this, given the fact that very few things are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wanted the subject of Barabbas to be talked about in all four Gospels. Let me suggest to you that there are a lot of reasons why that may be the case, but I wanna just uh, take it down to five reasons why this may be the case. Number one is that we need to appreciate That fairness isn't always the rule. You hate it when someone says to you, when when you say, well, this wasn't fair. And then someone responds to you and says, well, life's not fair. And that's true. Life isn't fair. It's not fair in the way that we are treated medically and the fact that sometimes we get sick and you say, that's not fair. You lose your job financially or economically, that's not fair. You've worked hard all your life, but yet you can't retire, that's not fair. There's all kinds of reasons why things happen. We know that as we'll talk about a little bit later, that good happens to the bad and bad happens to the good and stuff just happens to people who are just there. Jesus' death was the greatest miscarriage of justice ever. And on that, we all agree. If there was ever a miscarriage of justice, it was Jesus's death. And there are people that unfortunately, because we are a flawed system and there's no perfect uh, legal or judicial system that exists in the world, that are innocent, that are in prison. Now, sometimes you the running joke is, is are you innocent? Every prisoner says, yes, I'm innocent. I actually sat down, with a, a brother in Christ in a prison environment probably 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And uh, it, was a, it was one of those surreal moments that I had to go through along with my, uh, a guy that I was working with, uh, Brother Jack, and I went to prison to visit someone who says, I am innocent, and he's a Christian, and he was innocent of a murder is what he said. And um, incidentally, they check you for metal and they check you for your, obviously, weapons and things like that. And uh, he had a, an ink pen on his, a nice ink pen, nicer than this one. And he had an ink pen in his shirt pocket. And um, they said, you can't take that in. He says, well, you let me do it. He said, we don't know, but you can't take it in. And you can't go all the way back to your car and put it in your car because it's going to take a long time and you go through the process again to go through all the, the rigmarole of getting into the prison. So I said, just go out. (laughs) I mean, I was dead serious. I wasn't joking. I said, why don't you just go out and bury it in the dirt in the front and pick it up when you're done. And the prison guard looked at me. He says, we would consider that contraband. And we'll arrest you for that. So he gave up his pen. You know, it's one of those things that we were talking about, be all things to all men. Sometimes you got to give up the pen. So he lost the pen that day, the nice one. He had to just say, throw it away. Throw it away there in the wastebasket. Well, we went in and we talked to this man for quite some time. And it was an interesting environment because it, there was three guards for about 100 prisoners. And I'm sitting there and I'm pretty tough. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, we had a conversation with this man. Did you know that two years later that some lawyers took up his case and they found out that indeed he was innocent? That was a miscarriage of justice. That's sad that that person had to spend X number of years in jail or in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And the whole time he said, I didn't do it. This is a miscarriage of justice. The fact that Jesus went to the cross for us. Go back to Matthew chapter 26. We read Matthew chapter 27 a moment or so ago. But go back a a chapter earlier and read beginning in verse 59. It says that the chief priests the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Now already we have a major problem with this based on Exodus 20 when it says you shall not bear false witness against someone, but they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none, but at last two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it up in three days. The point that I'm making simply is this, that this is not fair what is happening to Jesus. It is not fair at all. And sometimes things are going to happen in our lives that are not fair either. Note, if you would, as I mentioned, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, where it says that the rain falls on the just and on the unjust, And that there are going to be things that happen to people that are not fair in your life. And I wish that I could say, and I've said this before in sermons similar to this, that once you become a Christian, everything goes well. And that you no longer have problems. And that everything is fair in life. In fact... Our young people last night were studying from 1 Peter chapter 3, and we learned that there is suffering that comes as a direct result and unfair treatment and persecution that comes as a direct result of signing up to follow God. And so I would say to someone, if you want a life of fairness where things go well and you don't have any challenges, then maybe being a Christian isn't for you because being a Christian does require us to put up with some difficult things, but it is a short-term problem and I use that word loosely, for long-term gain or reward. The crowd actually accused Jesus of wrongdoing in Luke chapter 23 in verses one and two. It says, they began to accuse him, and this was the accusation against Jesus. Remember, they're trying to come up with all kinds of accusations, and that'll happen to us as well. People will accuse us of things that are never true. We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. What do we call that? Three letters. Starts with an L, ends with an E, and has an I in the middle. (laughs) That's a lie, right? Because as our scripture reading was found in Luke chapter 20, what did Jesus say? He says, you render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So this is not true. People are going to say things about you that are not true in your workplace, perhaps in your family, sometimes in your social circles, and it's not fair. But we are trying to be like Jesus, and consequently, we may have to endure the pain that Jesus would have to endure, at least in those limited circumstances. Let me suggest to you reason number two that the story of Barabbas is so important is because it's a reminder that we need to be careful listening to the crowds. In Matthew chapter 27, the word that is used is multitudes. In Mark chapter 15, the word that is used is Crowd. It is evident by this point that what had taken over was nothing short of mob mentality. You have people here who are coming in from every street and every neighborhood around Jerusalem, and they are now... Uh, converging at the praetorium. They are converging at this justice hall. And you say, well, that's not much justice in this hall today. And there wasn't. But they're converging there to hear Pilate hopefully say that Jesus deserves death. But what does Pilate say time and time and time again? He says he doesn't deserve death. I found nothing wrong with this man. And there's a part of us if you read it like me, that says, well, I feel bad for Pilate. And then there's a part of you that says, I don't feel bad for Pilate. Because you have this person who's struggling, but yet doesn't have the backbone. And granted, he, he understands that if, if he allows a mob to get out of control, as has happened in previous decades in Jerusalem or in Judea, his job or his life is on the line. The majority wanted Barabbas released, but the majority was wrong. And that's an important lesson for us going back to the great sermon on the mountaintop in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, where Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who find it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. I remember in middle school, there was a friend of mine who was fairly religious, who had a like a bumper sticker inside of her locker. And when you open her locker door, this is what was there and that the principle is true even today. And that is what's always popular isn't always right. And what's always right isn't always popular. And I thought it stuck with me 30 years later. 32 years later, whatever the case may be. The fact is, is sometimes we've got to understand that just because something is popular, and those of you that are younger, those of you that have friends in school, those of you that have friends in various clubs or softball leagues, or soccer games, or whatever the case may be, they're going to say, well, this is what's cool. This is, I'm not sure that they say what's cool anymore. I don't, I don't know what the cool word is. I know it's not hip, because if you say you're hip, then you, you've proven yourself that you need a hip replacement um, these days. But whatever the, the new word is for that's really whatever. Hip, cool, rad, I'm dating myself, it's getting worse as we go. But the fact of the matter is, is for whatever you say is popular and cool, it's not to be desired for those of us who are righteous followers and righteous people and people of righteousness. Because what is popular isn't always right and what's always right isn't always popular. We gotta be careful listening to the crowds. That's not just a lesson for those of you that are in your teens That's a lesson for those of us that are in our 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, 80s, and all the way up to the 90s that we have present with us today. That we've got to remember that doing what's right matters more than doing what is popular. It brings us to observation number three, and that is all sin, all sin is serious. And we know the seriousness of sin as illustrated in various places throughout scriptures. Um, my guess is I would venture that most of us could quote Romans three twenty three, or at least once you get started, you could finish the rest. The, uh, the concept that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all done that. We have all been responsible for saying, I'm the one who put Jesus on the cross. And that's why we sang that song a few moments or so ago. Whatever sin a person is guilty of, it's sin that has serious consequences to it. Again, most of us could quote at least part of Isaiah 59 where it says, God's hand is not shortened or slack that it cannot forgive, but that our sins have separated us from the Lord himself, separated us from God. What we may not be able to quote, and what I probably couldn't quote without having looked at it earlier or looking at it now is Ephesians chapter four and verse 18, where Paul says to the Ephesian brethren, he says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them Because of the blindness in their heart. Verse 18 is a frightening statement, it seems to me, and testimony or commentary on life without God. Darkened understanding, alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in them. Going back to Barabbas, going back to Jesus, going back to I'm the one who's responsible as much as Barabbas was responsible. The fact that an innocent man was convicted and a convicted man went free illustrates to me the seriousness of sin. If nothing else, get that from the sermon this morning. You have an innocent man who's done no wrong and he goes to the cross and dies. But yet you have a man who was a robber, who was a rebel, who was a, a murderer, and he is set free. That's injustice. This tells me that sin... And and why did that happen? Well, because Jesus needed to die for us in order for us to have hope. That tells me that sin is serious business. It tells me that in the words of the Hebrew writer, that every time that I sin, I crucify a fresh Jesus Christ. So every time that you and I sin by the way that we look at something or think or act or speak... We are responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. And we look at Barabbas and we say, what a miscarriage of justice where we need to look at ourselves and say the same thing in the way that we have treated Jesus. Let me suggest to you, fourthly, before we draw ourselves to a close in reason number five, that Jesus, with the story of Barabbas, was well aware of his purpose Earlier in his teachings, Jesus acknowledged his purpose. And never does he say, my purpose is to heal people. My purpose is to make life better for people on earth. Now, he does a lot of that, does he not? You go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke particularly, and you see all the different miracles that Jesus performed and all the good that he did. But look, if you would, at Luke chapter 9, verse 56, one of my favorite verses in the book of Luke, Where uh, Luke says, or Jesus is saying, you got to understand that no man having uh, put his hand to the plow is fit for the kingdom of God if he looks back later in the text. But here towards the end of what we call chapter 9, he says, the son of man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's the purpose of Jesus. That's Jesus in a verse, to borrow from a statement that we can make in other sermons. The fact is, is Jesus says, I'm here to save men's souls. I'm not here to fix all of the ails of the world because I'd rather Jesus fix souls and get them to heaven than fix people of cancer and of other horrific diseases that in and of himself are troubling. But It's not a matter of an eternal consequence. Remember that this was the plan from before the beginning. In Ephesians chapter 3, in the great mystery chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, the apostle there says, According to the eternal purpose which was accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that fits nicely with the prophecy that had been made some 800 years earlier in Isaiah 53 in the chapter that we read from just a couple of days ago in one of our Wednesday evening talks. The fact is, is Jesus knew that his death was necessary for guilty men to live. Who would that include? Well, you've already figured it out where I'm going here. That would include Barabbas. And that would include more broadly, you and me. Now, I don't know what happened to Barabbas after he was freed. I have my thoughts and my speculations. But wouldn't it have been nice if after being freed by Jesus, that he chose to be freed by Jesus? because there's two different freedoms here that he would have experienced. One is freedom from death or freedom yeah, freedom from death from the punishment of the cross and the other would be freedom from sin. Which of those matters more? Without a doubt, freedom from sin matters all the more. But Jesus knew his purpose. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, I don't know exactly what was going on in his mind. I kind of believe that he understood, I, I know that he understood what he was doing and that he was dying for humanity where Barabbas was geographically at that point, still in Jerusalem, near the cross, I don't know. But Jesus knew that Barabbas needed a savior as much as you and I need a savior, And that's true for each and every human that's ever lived, whether they are a robber or what we would call a very nice person who doesn't rob. Let me suggest to you that number five, that Jesus' sacrifice is powerful enough for any sin. This is a point that I've made repeatedly. In fact, I just made this point a couple of weeks ago in a sermon. But do you remember all the descriptions of Barabbas? Notorious prisoner, rebel, rebellion participator, robber, and he was a murderer. So we usually escalate these things. And once you get to those upper echelons of crime, we say that person really is bad and and needs to have some sort of severe punishment associated with him or with her. But Barabbas is just one person of many who was evil, but yet released by the Lord. What have we been studying uh, on S- Wednesday evenings? We've been talking about the life of David in 2 Samuel. And we're all familiar with the ugly story of Second Samuel chapter 11. But consider David. Here is a man who will be called a man after God's own heart in Acts chapter 13. But yet was guilty of adultery, guilty of lying, guilty of the cover-up, and guilty of murder. But yet he's a man after God's own heart. How could that be? I would submit to you that while that could be a great essay, that it really is summed up in, in a statement, and that is the only reason that David is a man after God's own heart is because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no way that you can be a man after God's own heart because of your perfection, because David proves to us that he's not that, or of his supposed self-righteousness, because that is not the case either. But it's because of the grace of our God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And consider, if you would, Saul for a moment, or as he is called Paul, Acts chapter 7, chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, First Timothy chapter 1, he refers to himself as a horrible man. He says, I am a wretched individual elsewhere. But yet in Acts chapter 9, in verse 15, what does Jesus say to him? Do you remember what he said in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15? He says, Saul, the reason that I want you is because or the reason that I want him, Ananias, and speaking to Ananias on this occasion, is because he's going to be special or a chosen vessel in my service. This is the point that I made a few weeks ago. This is the point that we make quite frequently. And this is a teaching point when you interact with those who have very sordid backgrounds themselves. And that is no matter the gravity or the seriousness of a person's sin, the death of Jesus Christ is far sufficient to provide for the forgiveness that is absolutely necessary. And I I would have in your arsenal... You know, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, be ready to give a defense or to be ready to give an answer. I would have David and Saul of Tarsus kind of in your brain at all times when you interact with someone who says, I can't be saved. I've just done too much wrong. I, I, I've, I've wronged too many people. You don't understand the things that I've thought, the things that I've done, the, the people that I've abused, the people I've been unfair to. Well, consider David consider Saul of Tarsus here are individuals that are guilty of heinous crimes of doing very wrong but yet the Lord called them and they were forgiven by the grace of God the fact of the matter is is when you think about the story of Barabbas there are lots of reasons why he's included in the text but think about the event 2,000 years ago If indeed Barabbas, as is speculated, and there seems to be certain evidence for in biblical text, if Barabbas was Jesus, his first name, it means Jesus, son of a father, because Bar is son of, kind of like Bar-Jonah elsewhere, son of Jonah. And Bar-Abbas, and Abba, or Abbas, is a father in general. So who do you want? Do you want Jesus, the son of just an ordinary father, or do you want Jesus, the son of the father? And really to start thinking about this, this is really uh, amazing what was happening 2,000 years ago. And not just one, not just two, but the multitudes, the crowd cried out, we said, we want Barabbas. And, and it says if Pilate saying, do you understand that he's here on a legitimate charge, a series of charges? So we don't care. Either we die to Christ and we live or we die without Christ and we experience death eternal. Those are the only two alternatives. And the fact that Jesus died for us is a testimony to the fact that we want to live for Jesus and to do what he's asked us to do. And if you are here and you are not a Christian, you are the one that shouted, Crucified. And when we sang that song, it was sobering. But it was a right thing to say because you're responsible, I'm responsible. But you can be forgiven of all your sin by being baptized into Jesus Christ this very morning. If that's something that you'd like to study further, we're ready to study with you at your convenience. If you're ready to commit yourself to life, uh, to Jesus and being baptized, we'll baptize you based on the repentance of your sins and confession of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. If you are a child of God, you've already done those things. Maybe you did those things uh, a couple of years ago. Maybe you did those things uh, decades ago in, in rendering yourself obedient to God. And you have crucified the son afresh. And you are like Barabbas, notorious having done wrong, and you want forgiveness. We can pray for you and pray with you. If we can help in any way, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.